Hi, this is Bill Osmolsky with the McIver Institute, and welcome to the McIver Newsmakers podcast. We're going to be talking about one of the many bills House Democrats are trying to push through in Washington this session. This one is about labor unions. They call it the PRO Act, short for Protecting the Right to Organize. It would do that by essentially eliminating every law that currently protects workers from unions. To talk about this, we're joined today by Erica Jednick, the Director of Economic Opportunities at the Americans for Prosperity. Erica, thank you very much for joining us today. Bill, thank you so much for having me. So, Erica, why don't we just start off by um, talking a little bit about where this PRO Act came from and who's pushing for it. Yes. So the PRO Act was introduced um, actually in the last session and uh, by Representative Scott. And it's really a big push by labor to unionize much of the workforce. There are um, demographics that have never been unionized, like independent contractors. For that reason, they operate independently. So this is really a push across America to force unionization. And their numbers are pretty far down these days, which is probably part of what's prompting this. That's, That's correct. And also, frankly, just state right to work. So Right to work has been passed now in, in 27 different states, including Wisconsin, and big labor is looking to overturn that from the federal level. So, so I take it a lot of workers. Uh, so we have right to work here in Wisconsin. We've had it since 2015. Um, the, I'm, the PRO Act would get rid of that. It would get rid of a lot of things uh, like, for example, Act 10, which uh, everyone <laughs> everyone in Wisconsin, it's hard to forget about it. It happened 10 years ago now, uh, which um, pretty much... Um, uh, gave uh, public workers uh, the the right to not join a union. And um, also, I mean, this project goes back even further than that because it would, um, one of the things it would do is it would uh, eliminate, it, it, it would um, give workers the right to strike. And um, here in Wisconsin, teachers have not been allowed to strike. Not, have, have, it's been illegal for teachers to strike since the 70s. So it sounds like this would even go, you know, this would even eliminate that. Yeah, the, the PRO Act is really the, one of the most extreme labor bills we've ever seen in U.S. history. It would essentially overturn almost 80 years of established labor law in the wrong direction. So, as you mentioned, it would overturn right to work at the state level across the entire country. It would reclassify independent contractors as full-time employees. And by the way, that doesn't guarantee them that they'll have a full-time job, and many contractors enjoy having multiple clients. It would also require that employers, private sector employers, hand over personal contact information to union organizers. And even the AFL-CIO has said that they will go so far as to finding people in grocery stores and at their homes. Yeah, so you have some goons showing up at your at your door telling you how to vote and uh, reminding you that it will not be a secret ballot. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, um, you know, taking a quick step back, you know, about the, the right to work laws that a lot of states have implemented. You know, here in Wisconsin, uh, a lot of workers took advantage of that to finally say, hey, I never really wanted to be a member of the union in the first place, so leave me alone. I'm out. Um, I take it that that trend has kind of occurred all over the country. It has, yes. And there's even some states looking at it now. So New Hampshire is poised to pass right to work potentially in just the next month. 
And then Montana may be the next state just in early 2023. So we've really seen this trend across the country for worker freedom. That's in the private sector. And then obviously for the public sector, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled in the 2018 Janus first AFSCME case that all government workers have essentially the right to work. So whether it's through the courts or through state legislatures, there's really a movement towards worker freedom. And the PRO Act would be absolutely uh, the, in the wrong direction and, frankly, against what people want. Now, you know, generally speaking, this is a very uh, partisan bill. I noticed, um, in, you know, there, there, there's a ton of co-sponsors for this thing, uh, mostly Democrats here in Wisconsin, our entire um, our entire congressional delegation, uh, all the uh, all three of our House Democrats and our one uh, uh, Senate Democrat have co-sponsored this thing. Uh, with such a shift away from unions, why what ha- why are Democrats so obsessed with them? Even though many of their own voters are probably moving away from them. Yeah, I think it's about a lack of control. So instead of focusing on membership maintenance, right, really providing a value so that members will want people will want to join as members, right? They're focusing on coercion, which is just really the wrong value set. And particularly now that uh, Democrats have control in Washington D.C., they're looking to control the states. You know, I mentioned independent contractors, despite this bill having partisan sponsorships, you know, independent contractors across the political spectrum will be affected and have been really rising up. So, for example, you know, Americans for Prosperity has a campaign called Flex Your Independence, just flexyourindependence.com, where independent contractors can share their personal story why they want to remain independent, why they, you know, they don't want a regular nine to five job or, you know, report to a a boss. They want to have their own business. And we have been hearing from all kind of people from all kind of walks of life, particularly a lot of a lot of women um, and even progressive women, self-identified social justice warriors, because this is about their livelihoods bill. And the fact that federal Democrats want to take that away, that's that's extremely concerning, and we've absolutely been seeing people speak up. Yeah, so, that's, sure, let's talk about the independent contractors for a moment here. So, the PRO Act pretty much takes away not only all the protections workers have against unions, but it also takes away pretty much everything that an employer can do to counter the union's message. And so, when we're talking about independent contractors here, it, you know, First of all, you know, yeah, first the angle of so the unions want these independent contractors to essentially organize against themselves because an independent contractor works for themselves. Um, and then the second angle is I imagine they plan on um, forcing unionization upon them since they aren't going to vote to unionize themselves. They're going to force it upon them using project labor agreements where they can't get work unless they are a member of the union. Yes, and it's essentially replicating what California did with the state-level legislation called AB5 at the beginning of the pandemic. So we don't have to guess how this is going to turn out. We just have to look to California. 
And California, again, reclassified independent contractors uh, with a very strict test. It's called an ABC test. And many independent contractors lost their jobs in California. About actually almost um, a million people lost some type of income in California. And nationally, what that looks like, there's currently 59 million independent contractors. So it's it's not just, you know, I think folks think of construction contractors, but it's also hairstylists. It's realtors. Now, realtors were exempted from California's AB5, but not from the PRO Act. There's literally no exemptions as the House passed it. And uh, we should be very concerned, Bill. Yeah, so this this is uh, this puts the gig economy in, in the uh, in the the sites in their sites, right? Exactly, exactly. A lot of the public discourse is over, you know, Uber and Lyft need to be unionized, and I think we should certainly discuss some of the restrictions in labor law. So right now, for example, during the pandemic, uh, it's it's a very sticky employment situation if Uber and Lyft wanted to provide, say, masks and gloves. And frankly, I, I believe that they should be able to without triggering, right, that they have to hire people full time. Again, plenty of folks do this part time and want to continue to do so and have that flexibility. And instead, the, you know, folks and politicians in in Washington, D.C. are they're not just including Uber and Lyft in the gig economy. They're including every freelancer in America. That's party planners. That's even some optometrists. Any kind of consultant you can think of will be wrapped up in the PRO Act. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we hear a lot about how, you know, the gig economy is most popular among the millennial generation and the, the Generation Z. So these are also key demographics for Democrat voters. So I can imagine that a lot of people that are not too happy about this, this uh, proposal probably don't all vote Republican. No, no, they don't. And I think all you have to do is just go on Twitter and look up hashtag proact or hashtag fight for freelancers. And you will see so many people, again, plenty of young people, women, um, minorities, really everyone talking about how terrible this issue would be, because whether you're an Uber driver or you have your own private business from home and you hire contractors, it's going to affect your livelihood. So it's it's been pretty impressive just the, the breadth of people that have been speaking out. And, um, you know, we're really working so that our, our representatives in Washington hear from us, right? And uh, people can also go and, and check that out, that effort, again, flexyourindependence.com to, to share their personal story. So, um, you know, with, I'm sure a lot of people have already done that. So, um, you know, just to kind of give us an idea here, let's say I'm, you know, I'm, I'm an underemployed uh, young person in my 20s and I pick up a job at Grubhub. What, what does this mean for me? Yes. So potentially, right, if this got passed, Grubhub it would have to hire you or not hire you as an employee, right? And if you think about it, they're going to only have enough revenue, right, to be able to support a, a fraction, right, of their current workforce as full-time employees. 
And then also, you know, if you're an underemployed student, maybe you're getting training or you're checking out, you know, another job. And I was in that position at one time. Well, no longer are you going to have the flexibility of shaping your schedule at Grubhub. Instead, you may be on a nine to five, you may be on some other eight hour work shift, but you're now going to have many more rules and restrictions on you. Yeah, I mean, one that just immediately pops into mind is, uh, you know, not only right now do you have the flexibility to work when you want, but you also have the flexibility to work where you want. So I imagine uh, territories suddenly are going to be divvied up by seniority and you can imagine all the other fun stuff that a union brings. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think this is really timely because of the pandemic. As you mentioned, more and more people are interested in remote work, right, working from anywhere. And then really, even just with volatile school schedules and childcare, we've seen, um, I think it was uh, certainly over a million, if not almost two million women had to drop out of the workforce over the past year due to just difficulties in, um, you know, are my kids going to be in person? Are they virtual? Not having, you know, flexible employers. So there's a lot more interest in this type of contracting. And I think it's really important to keep women um, and all working parents, you know, connected to the workforce. Uh, even even uh, I've heard plenty from folks who are taking care of elderly parents and they need to be home during the day. Right. So I think we want to support the future of work, where the American workforce is going, and and not go 50 years back. Yeah, that's one of the interesting things about this this issue, too, is it's like, um, you know, Democrats on some things are like, you know, really on the cutting edge, I guess, or like trying to push the envelope on, you know, progress. But on other things, they really seem to be really stuck in the past. And, um, you know, like when Joe Biden during his joint address was talking about the labor situation and workers who's, you know, you know, the, the world has passed them by. And, you know, it just it feels like they're caught, you know, at least 10 years ago. But then with this labor union thing, it's like they're obsessed. It's a 20th century concept. And we're 21 years in the 21st century now. And it just. It, it, again, brings me back to why are they so obsessed with labor unions when even their own constituents aren't as, you know, wedded to that idea as they are? Yes. Well, Bill, I'm sure some of your listeners can can really um, connect the dots here. It's about campaign donations. And I think we've seen that where labor unions, right, they're special interests. They're, they're donating to these politicians and asking for exactly what they want. And, and we've seen that even just uh, the other day, there was an announcement about how the CDC had taken had taken guidance from the National Education Association on, on opening schools. And it, it wasn't just some guidance or direction. It was really verbatim. And so we're seeing special interests trying to control our government. So clearly the labor unions are still a force to reckon with in politics. Um, how, how, so how, how does uh, Americans for Prosperity, how do the independent contractors, how, how do all these people that stand, you know, the, the tens of hundreds of millions of people that stand to lose because of this thing, how, how do they stop this? Yeah, I think the biggest thing, Bill, is sharing one's personal story. 
So we see the other side do this, right? They they often share personal stories. And I think we, you know, they, politicians need to hear from their constituents. You know, I, I tell this story, I, my home state is New Jersey. And in New Jersey, the Senate president tried replicating California's AB5 right here at the state level. And what happened is freelancers rose up, independent contractors, they taped their personal stories. They flooded the Senate president's office. You know, they flooded the Capitol, right? And it made a difference, and that is dead. It's no longer a threat anymore. And so I think that those lessons need to be applied at the federal level. People need to be willing to speak up. I know sometimes it's it's difficult. It can take a lot of courage, frankly, um, but they need to be connected to really their, their constituents, personal stories, what they're going through, because a lot of times representatives are signing on and they don't read the whole the whole bill. Right. They just read this is about the gig economy. So they need to hear and really get educated about how terrible the pro act is. Yeah. And, um, you know, just uh, just to kind of uh, let people know, too, what the score is right now. You know, this is one of many radical bills that House Democrats have passed in the past couple months, and they're starting to pile up outside the Senate. So there is a lot of hesitation on the part of senators to uh, to actually take any of these bills up. But on the other hand, as these things stack up, pressure starting to build on those senators, too, to eventually they're going to have to start, you know, you know, start compromising and taking up some of these radical bills. So, I mean, this this could easily be one that the Senate feels that it needs to do something about. There is. And, and the other issue here at play is the filibuster. So right now there isn't 60 votes in the Senate. It's already passed the House. So it means that, you know, they have to get rid of the filibuster or what Biden has been proposing is include it in the infrastructure package or pass it as part of the infrastructure package. And it's very concerning because your viewers may be, you know, watching the news right now and the infrastructure package, which, by the way, is not infrastructure. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's only six percent roads and bills, uh, <laughs> roads and bridges. It has to go through a thing called budget reconciliation. So that's very, a uh, very limited scope. Right. Can only really be about the budget. But instead. You know, Democrats are talking about putting everything in the kitchen sink in. And I think it's really going to come down to what the parliamentarian really says is uh, allowed here. Uh, But certainly there are potential aspects of the PRO Act that could be included in this upcoming infrastructure package unless they get rid of the filibuster in the Senate. Got it. Well, you know, considering that that infrastructure, uh, those infrastructure plans cost uh, $4 trillion, hopefully there's uh, not too much support on the right side of the aisle for those in the first place. No, and, and there certainly shouldn't be. But uh, unfortunately, we we have seen some proposals from Republicans. And, you know, what I emphasize to everyone is read what's read what's in the package. Uh, just in even the, quote, COVID relief package in the spring, only 9% of that was actually direct relief or related to vaccinations. And the rest of these packages are just pork and, and handouts to special interests. Yeah. So when you talk about, you know, making sure that you call your, your lawmakers, not just if they're Democrats, you got to watch those Republicans too on this stuff. 
Absolutely. Great. Hey, Erica, did, is there anything that you wanted to mention that, that I forgot to ask you about? Yeah, the only other aspect of the PRO Act that I think folks should know about and, and read it relates to franchising. So there's franchises across America like McDonald's and the PRO Act would also tackle franchising. You know, they would essentially roll up liability to the corporate level, meaning that it would be a lot more difficult for small business entrepreneurs to get franchises for, say, a a local Chick-fil-A or McDonald's in their hometown. And again, just another aspect of overturning established labor law in the wrong direction. Yeah. And, you know, the funny thing about that is a lot of immigrants, you know, finally get their foothold on the American dream through franchising. Um, and so, yeah, you uh, you started adding the risk. You start increasing that uh, the cost of a franchise and make it even harder for them to succeed. Exactly. And and really, we need our leaders talking about pro-worker freedom policy, right, more flexibility, the future of work. And I think particularly after the pandemic, it's it's pretty clear that we can have a more inclusive workforce, not less. <laughs> Sounds great. Well, Erica, thank you very much for being with us today to talk about the PRO Act. Bill, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And thank you for joining us for this MacIver Newsmakers podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us on SoundCloud and tell all your friends to listen in too. For the MacIver Institute, I'm Bill Osmolsky. Have a great rest of your week.